Let us pray. Gracious Lord, on this night, thank you. Thank you that we can gather here to honor our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his promise that we gather together in his name, that he is here. So, O oh Lord of heaven and earth, born among us as a child, risen as a Savior, come and manifest your presence here. Let us hear again the wonderful tidings of great joy. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Did you hear the little grace note gift that Ben the organist played as we were beginning to, I was beginning to make my way up here? Fa la 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 la. I love it. If it wasn't for Christmas, it might feel highly inappropriate. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have careened from event to event to event in the past two months, not unlike a roller coaster, from wonderful news that we have had, both personally as a family and things that are happening in the church and in the community, as well as extraordinary tragedies from everything about personal deaths that we have shared to Aleppo, all of the other things that continue to go on. In fact, if I gave you the whole list, I know that what would happen is, is that you, you just go like this in your pew, as heavy as it is, has in fact been. So, I needed to come tonight. I needed to hear again, as it were, the message of the angels, the glory of it, the wondrous promise of God that we gather in His name, not as a way to shut out what's going on out there, but instead, in fact, to be open to something that is deeper than all of the events that surround us, both inside as well as externally. And that is the event that we have come to commemorate and give thanks for this evening. That somehow in the midst of both the chaos and the joy, something new is happening. I, I didn't know how deeply all of this had affected me until I'd heard from a fellow clergy person that a friend of mine's wife had died. And I had known both of them literally for decades. And so I'd been wanting to call the widower or him, and a couple of days went past, and finally I was able to do it this afternoon on Bluetooth in my last errand before I had to get home to get over here for the 8 o'clock service earlier this evening. And I called him up on the phone, and I said, Hi, Merry Christmas, and I'm just so sorry to hear about your wife. And he said, oh, well, well, thank you. Good to hear from you. Merry Christmas to you. And well, why are you so concerned about my wife? And I said, well, I'd heard that she had died. And he went, oh, no. She's had a bad cold. But that's about all that's happened. And, and I felt, when he said that, I went, oh, it was like I could feel my whole body exhale. And it was only then that I actually faced up to 
all of the stress and the tension of everything that I'd been experiencing, both externally in terms of the circumstances that we've been careening through as a nation and as a planet, but, but also interiorly as well. I, I have to tell you, I used to be able to pride myself, this was when I was much younger, that I could watch the news and not be affected. No longer. No longer. And it's not so much that the news have changed, has changed, but blessedly, God has been merciful and I have changed. Because you see, this is a little bit of an aside from the sermon. I can't ask God to work in me a heart that is tender to his presence, tender to the reality of who he is in the world, tender in my care and love for other people, sensitive to his leadership in my life, the, the nuances of his speaking and the paying attention to how he orchestrates circumstances and seeing his hand at work. It's the things that that we pray for, but I can't ask for that and still have a callous heart when it comes to the news or even violence in the movies. It, you can't be, in essence, schizophrenic about these things. I think that's what the Bible calls double-mindedness. Because here, you see, we are invited into something that's extraordinarily tender, which means to enter into that, to know the glory and the beauty of it, to know the heart of it, the tenderness of it. There has to be a willingness for those of us pseudo-sophisticated folk who can take almost anything and sort of let it roll over our heads and say, well, you know, that's just life these days. We have to lay that guard down. We have to be willing to understand that that's actually a false self that may help us get along well in terms of the society we live in, but in fact, actually, like, it's like a fist in terms of our relationship with God. You, you can't have it both ways. And, and I would much rather know the tenderness of the heart of God and the tenderness of His mercies and His generosity and kindness and his forgiveness. Why, God? Because I need it so desperately. I'd rather know that than be able to just sort of pass off the latest fit of violence as if it were nothing more than a small incident in my kitchen. No. Would you be willing, sisters and brothers, to listen to something deeper than the callousness of your own exterior? Would you be willing to open up something deeper inside of yourself, or at least ask God to do it if you can't? Because sometimes it's so tough inside because of the shell that we have created. We have to ask God to open it up a little bit to let in, <laughs> to let in some of His freshness and let out the stale air of our own cynicism. Because that's what it takes to, to come to this manger. I noticed, in fact, I took a picture of it and I posted it on my Twitter feed before the earlier service. And I said, you know, you have to get down low to be able to see the baby in the manger, the way this thing is organized. 
And I said, but <laughs> more often than not, that's actually how it always is to catch the baby in the manger, to get a sense of the tenderness of God. It's not just a liturgical act when we bow as we do. It's a way of saying, I'm letting go of my pride, my independence, my need to stand upright. Because you see, to see things like this, as lowly as they are, it does take a different kind of vision. If all you're doing is just sort of looking straight ahead, what's happening is that you're catching the circumstances that are coming at you. It's a defensive, in fact, posture to protect yourself from the possibility of being caught unawares. And yet, what God likes to do is catch us unawares. It's fun for Him. He loves to show us our own limitations so that we can, in fact, enter into a deeply more tender relationship with Him. So that even in the most difficult of circumstances, there is the capacity within us because God has worked it there by His grace to know something of His laughter, even in the midst of dark times, to know something of the great joy that is even the proclamation of this evening. Because what does the baby in the manger show us? What it shows us is that humility, tenderness, generosity, and kindness are divine attributes. They are God. And the self-protected soldier that we have created for ourselves, road warriors that we are, in fact, runs entirely counter to the tenderness of God. And so I, I come here because I need to be reminded that this, <laughs> this is what's real, not this callous persona that I've created for myself. Because you see, my only hope is that light does, in fact, break into darkness, and that this child born in an animal stall, to quote Jim Wallace of Sojourners, is still more important than all the kings and the rulers I need to be reminded that what happens in the manger is more important than what happens to billionaires, politicians, movie stars. I need to be reminded that when war and politics destroy the all is calm, all is bright, God brings them back, and that love's pure light wins over, over all of the hatred and terrorism that presently stand in God's world. For those of you who have been fans of the miniseries Stranger Things, I'm one, this is the real upside down. But it's not a place of terror. No, it's a place of hope. If you will, we can call it the great reversal, where for the sake of our weary hearts, where, as it says in O Holy Night, the weary world rejoices that mercy, in fact, triumphs over judgment. And the tender babe in the manger becomes the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we learn more than anything else that God desires to dwell 
not in our self-protected castles, but in the stable, the manger that is within our hearts. The tender place within us that's open to the breezes and the cold that blow in from the outside. That imperfect place that smells of cattle dung that should be a little cleaner than it is, but you know, it's all we got. It's us, you see. It's not easy. We can think of any, re any, <laughs> any reason in the world to be that vulnerable before God Himself. More often than not, the way we play it is that we blame people. Hypocrites. I know what it's really like in the church. Let me tell you, I know what it's really like in church. And you're absolutely right. The hypocrisy can be rampant. The judgmentalism can be enormous. The kind of staid coldness that I'm continuing to satirize is in fact more often than not, sadly, the typical life of the churchgoer. So that even now in this glorious building and the beautiful carols and the hymns, a part of me, I actually told my wife I might do this, but I'm not. A part of me would literally was going to go up to the creche and take the baby out of the manger and hide it and say, see any difference? Does it make any difference? Because we can create for ourselves Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night with apologies to Dickens and not see Jesus because he is the one who has come to show us, hail in flesh the Godhead see, and call, be invited to come to him, to him. Because you see, to enter into the service is an invitation of more than just sort of tourism and enjoying the beauty of the evening. Nice service, Bishop. No. It's in fact an invitation to lay down the soldier guard, to be willing to bend low, to be able to see humility in the face of this baby and know that it is God looking at you in the face and will you, will you allow your stable to be open to his presence? The place that isn't cleaned up, the place that you wish wasn't there, the place that you really can't quite manage, the place you hope other people don't know anything about, even though you put your best foot forward. It looks pretty good on the front door, but please don't dare come inside because there are things in there I sure don't want you to see. Can you let God come in there? You know, I have to tell you, you just can't. At least I can't. It's too terrifying. Unless unless I know that who God is willing to come into this place is as this infant shining with light, laughter and joy. Have you been around a baby recently? It's incredibly disarming. When she puts her little hand around your finger, you're just putty. You have no will whatsoever, whatever you want. And that's what God has come to show us about himself. Tender, 
kind and yet extraordinarily strong. Quite powerful, really, more so than we see by his physical design. Deity incarnate that can move heaven and earth and yet comes to us as an infant so that we might look at him and go, ah, and bend the knee instead of falling on our faces in stark terror. So will you come? Will you say, I want to be more than a tourist? Are you willing to cross the line between spectator and worshiper? Will you open your heart? That's the invitation of this glorious, wondrous service. That's the invitation of God to you to say yes, even if it's in the smallest of ways, to let the door crack open just a little so that at least some of the light can come in and know that to allow that light in may not always feel safe, but it certainly feels clean, forgiven, at peace, restored. Today, in the New York Times, Ross Dothan, Christian, was writing about people who have religious experiences, Christian and non, actually. And in the end, he writes these words. He says, this is a wager that Christmas offers us year in and year in, year out. It's a bet. It's a bet on God's love for us. A wager than all, that in all the varieties of religious experience, wonderful, terrifying, inscrutable, all of those should be interpreted in the light of one specific history-altering event, a divine incarnation, a baby beneath a pulsing star. The odds on that wager feel different year to year. They change with joy and suffering, tranquility and crisis, sickness and health, but I haven't found a better one, and neither have I. In the midst of the careening craziness of this world, I don't want to be someone who is protected from it. I want someone who can walk with poise in it. I want someone who can be willing by the grace and mercy of God, of even in the worst of circumstances, to still have the tender heart that in darkness I still hear the laughter and grace of God, that even in the worst of tragedy I know that I am not abandoned and he promises that I will never leave you and nothing can separate us from the love of God. I want to be able to walk with a sense of purpose, to know that even in this crazy world I'm here and God is here and therefore I want to serve and make a difference. I want to be one that turns around and says, yes, even if it gets costly and difficult and sacrificial, Jesus certainly sacrificed, and to live a life that actually has eternal significance, more than just endurance. That is the invitation for this powerful, vulnerable, genuinely tender God
who shows us himself in Jesus Christ. Come, come and say yes to him. Come and never be the same. Amen.